yes, Andy Reid is fantastic off of the bye, but he's not fantastic against the tight. There's no team in the NFL that he is worse against than the Tennessee Titans. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I am your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content and Senior Titans Contributor here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. This is the show for Friday morning, November the 4th, and I am joined by producer JT. Happy Friday morning, JT. How are you? I'm good. Happy Friday. Made it through another week, getting everything back on track and going to have a great episode today. Yeah, it's got to be better than the last episode because I have a voice this time. Yeah, and right? uh, on, on Monday morning, I went back and listened <laughs> to that. and It was painful. So I apologize to everybody. Uh, you can probably still hear a little rasp in my voice, but it's certainly more tolerable today. So that's the good news. I've, I feel like I'm fully recovered from the wedding weekend now. Are you are you back to normal? Oh, yeah, I'm back to normal and ready to hit the ground running for this. Uh, probably the biggest game of the season uh, for the Titans. It's got to be. It's got to be the biggest game of the season. We're going to talk a, l- a little bit in the intro today about just how big this game is and some of the angles on it that I find really interesting. Um, yeah, I-, I feel back to normal now, just in time, of course, to leave on my honeymoon, which we- <laughs> we're going on a week after the wedding. So that'll be fun going on a cruise. Um, going to be going full Jerry Jones next week um, because I am going to call in and do the show from a sea if I if I am able to which i believe i will be able to who knows what it's going to look like but it's going to be great nonetheless uh because can't just can't go radio silent on the on the podcast feed this week after that after that game that we're going to have on monday so jt is going to be helping me out doing some of the heavy lifting but we will be there and the shows will be here next week um i don't know whether or not we'll be able to have the show out first thing monday morning because it's a sunday night football game i can guarantee it'll be at some point on monday for those of you looking forward to the show at some point Monday that show will be up so just keep an eye out for it let's focus on today though and today we got a a pretty significant game here on the horizon that I have a couple of different thoughts on of course the Titans going to Kansas City to play in Arrowhead on Sunday night football their first Sunday night football game of the year their second primetime game of the year the Titans are hoping obviously that this game goes a little better than their first primetime outing this year when they got absolutely housed by the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. This game feels different to me for a couple of reasons. I understand the hesitation from some over this game, over the Titans. You know, oh, this is a real step up in class for them from what they've been playing the last five weeks. It's, you know, the second time they've stepped up, stepped up in class this year. And the first time they did, they got killed on the road by the Bills. We've seen the Bills and the Chiefs play. They seem like pretty comparable teams right now. Who's to say they aren't going to get killed again by the Chiefs? Well, there's a couple of reasons why I think that they won't necessarily, uh, you know, they they may very well lose the game. They are underdogs in a big way, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as ugly. I think it'll be more competitive than the Buffalo game. One of the biggest reasons is the fact that when you look at the Mike Vrabel era in Tennessee and take his track record as an underdog, as a big underdog, we made this point before the Buffalo game. And because of that one game, That one game does not alter this fact. The large sample size dictates, historically, Mike Vrabel is a fantastic coach as an underdog. And because he had a big blowout loss against the Bills, that that adds to his loss column there, but it's still 
the wins far outweigh the losses for Mike Rabel as an underdog. And as a big underdog, he covers in a big way. I don't think that we can make that game in week two in Buffalo the rule when historically and statistically it's an outlier. Now, maybe this year, this Titans team, there's just a clear line defining who they can compete with and who they can't. Maybe it is the case that the Bills and the Chiefs are just outclassing the Titans this year. They are just better teams. I think on paper, they are better teams in terms of roster construction, but newsflash, I don't know if you're new to the NFL or not. The whole thing with the NFL is that anybody can beat anybody, whether it's a Sunday during the regular season or in the playoffs. I was talking to Mike Herndon today on the Mike Herndon show, which you should go watch just about this fact, how we went and we double checked. And when you get in the playoffs, you don't have to be the better team. You just have to be the better team that week. And so um, each and every Sunday, you never know. And I think, I think this Titans team is in a different, I know this Titans team is in a different place in a number of different regards this week than they were in week two. First of all, their identity is far more established. Now it's not a whole lot different than what it was in previous years, but who they are as a team, where these, some of these new pieces are kind of fitting in the puzzle. A lot of that has shaken itself out over the past couple of months. And I think they're in a much better place as a cohesive unit than they were in Buffalo. So that's going to be one of the big things. Another thing is this chiefs team, although they hung tight with the bills in their game earlier this season, and they're clearly capable of playing up to that very, very elite top of the NFL level of play. They're not nearly as consistent as the bills have been. Lest I need to remind you, I am old enough to remember the Indianapolis Colts beat this team this year, like a month ago. I'm also old enough to remember this team nearly losing to the Raiders, another team that Titans have beaten this year, like a month or so ago. So the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, who is maybe at his top end more talented than a Josh Allen, his lower end seems to be lower than Josh's this year in the sense that we've seen him this year kind of sneakily get away with some lackadaisical, loose backyard play style. He's been doing a lot of throwing the ball around, scrambling out of the pocket, which he's really good at, but then it forcing him into a pretty cavalier decision. And he's, he's gotten, he's gotten lucky on a number of occasions this year, just with skating by on, Interesting roughing the passer calls or pass interference calls. Interesting drops from the defense. There's been a lot of turnover-worthy plays of his that haven't come back to bite the Chiefs in the butt, and so they've gotten away with it. This Titans defense obviously is fantastic, and we'll talk about them throughout the show, about just how great they've been. They are going to have to capitalize on those opportunities that Patrick Mahomes gives to the Titans in turning the ball over. There are, there's no two ways about this fact. The Titans, I don't see a path to them winning this game unless they win the turnover battle. Now, last week against the, the Texans, they got off to a hot start with a Christian Fulton interception, but then ultimately turned the ball over twice with the Malik Willis interception and then a Robert Woods fumble in punt recovery duty. They can get away with that against the Texans, and they did. There's no way to get around that with the, with the Chiefs. If they're going to win... They really can't afford to turn the, turn the ball over at all, and they're going to have to force Patrick Mahomes to turn the ball over. They're also going to have to be a little bit more diverse with their game plan than they were in Houston, and of course, that's not a shock to anybody. The Houston game was a unique game plan similar to Patriots-Bills in the windstorm late last year when 
Mac Jones only threw the ball three times and the Bills got and the uh, Patriots rather got the win. The Titans only passed the ball 10 times for six completions and 55 some odd yards in Houston. Derrick Henry went thermonuclear like he had been in every Houston game leading up to that. That can't be the case against the Chiefs. Now, I will say they have a sneaky, mediocre run defense. It's been actually pretty bad this year, but it's recently this past month trended in the right direction. So at the moment, their run D is kind of middle of the road, though they won't have Frank Clark out there. He's serving the second game of his two-game suspension this week. So that's a big deal because he's a beast. Of course, they've still got George Karloftis, a young pass rusher who's really talented and ascending. And then Chris Jones, who's just a monster in the middle. So it, it won't be a cupcake day for them running the ball like it was with Derrick Henry. But this stat, right before we were recording, I found it online somewhere and I wrote it down. I don't think it's in the news. It's a newsworthy item, but I wanted to I wanted to throw this out there just for perspective on how amazing Derrick Henry has been recently. In weeks four through eight, so the last five weeks, last month or so, Derrick Henry has 79 more rushing yards than any other player in the league. And one of those five weeks was his bye. He's murdering the competition, and sneakily, he's currently on pace for messing around and getting another 2,000-yard season, which I don't have to tell you, if he were to do that, he would be a lock for the Hall of Fame. He'd be the first player to ever do so. He's currently on pace. If he, I, I did the math. He, he's currently on pace to get to 2,000 if he averages roughly 123 yards per game. Now, at the moment, he's averaging right around there, the low 100s. And if you go ahead, and this is wishful thinking, but if you go ahead and factor in that second Houston game at home later on in the schedule as another 200-burger, because it's all he's done so far against the Houston Texans, then he only needs 116 yards per game. Is that a lock? No, he could get injured. The Titans could come up against some tough teams and they can't run the ball nearly as much. But it's certainly within the realm of possibility. And right now, he is red hot and looks as good out there as he ever has, in my opinion. He looks fantastic. I think he's maybe lost just a touch, a half step, a quarter step of his top-end speed. We see guys not quite, uh, we see him not quite able to pull away from guys nearly as much as he used to. But I think he makes up for that in some other elements of his game, his running game that he's really refined and and rounded out himself as a runner in general. I think his vision right now is better than it has ever been. His ability to make jump cuts and shake guys in the open field is as good as it's ever been right now. His ability to catch the ball is clearly as good as it's ever been right now. Now, it's not great, but he's actually a somewhat necessary threat in the the passing game, whether or not he would be on a better passing team Maybe not, but on this team, he's been a passing threat for about a month now, and he's gotten better and better at catching the ball. I think that he is, and of course, he remains the only back in the league that can handle a 30-ish carry per game workload and not deal with constant nagging injuries. So he's still elite to me. He's still the best running back in the league. And and I, I think that he's going to have to continue to carry this team, especially as long as Ryan Tannehill's injury situation is up in the air. Now, We'll talk about that with the injury report in the news here in a moment, but I'm not, I'm not saying I don't expect Ryan Tannehill to play. I do. If he can go at all, he's going to play. So I'd say right now he's going to play. However, I, I see no world in which he plays and is hundred percent 
his mobility won't be there. It's his plant leg, his back leg is a right-handed thrower that is injured, his ankle that is. And so he's going to have some issues to deal with in terms of setting his foundation, throwing from a strong platform, maneuvering the pocket, making sure he doesn't get rolled up on again or stepped on again by anybody else. Like there's some risks there as well as the fact that he won't have that mobility mobility aspect of his game to threaten the the uh, the Chiefs. This game is is interesting to me, and they're kind of dueling statistics here that I, I want to just dive into. And I don't necessarily have a take on this. I don't know what it means necessarily. I just find it fascinating how one of these things is being paid a lot of attention to this week. And I think it's the reason that the line on this game in Vegas is so high. And one of these things isn't really being paid attention to at all. The statistic you hear thrown around most this week is the fact that, Hey, Andy Reed, he's been coaching a long time and coming off of the bye, He's 19 and three as a head coach in games off the bye since 2000. It's a ridiculous record. It's a, it's a great sample size. It's a proven thing now that, Hey, Andy Reed, when you give him a week to prep, it's nasty. It's bad news. And so the Titans got definitely the short end of the stick in terms of scheduling this week with the Chiefs coming off the bye and then next week with the Broncos coming off the bye. Now, I don't know how much Nate Hackett scares you with a little extra time to prepare. Uh, that might scare Broncos fans more than it does Titans fans <laughs> because you don't want to leave Nate Hackett to his own devices. But with Andy Reid, he's a monster coming off the bye. And that's part of the reason that the Titans have hovered around 12 and a half, 13, 13 and a half point underdogs in this game all week long. Now, yeah, they're on the road. It's on Sun. It's an arrowhead, a hard place to play on Sunday night football, all of those things. But if this wasn't the chiefs coming off the bye, that number would not be nearly as big. The dueling statistical category that I find fascinating about this game that I've heard nobody mention all week is the fact that yes, Andy Reid is fantastic off of the bye. But he's not fantastic against the Titans. In fact, in his head coaching career, there's no team in the NFL that he is worse against than the Tennessee Titans. He is two and nine all time against Tennessee. Both of those wins coming in his tenure with the Kansas City Chiefs. One of those was in the AFC Championship game in 2020. He has historically struggled against this team. And the Mike Vrabel, John Robinson regime against the Andy Reid regime has been a winning recipe overall for the Titans. The Titans lead that series, I believe, four to three or three to two. Um, I know they're one game up in that in that series all time. They they got the Chiefs back with Mariota in the playoffs when Marcus Mariota threw a touchdown and a touchdown pass to himself. Something you probably won't ever see again. Um, but th that's an interesting thing to me that Andy Reid has not been great against the Titans. The Titans have been quite good against the Chiefs recently. And we, we saw them last year, boat raced them 27 to three at home, absolutely killed the Chiefs worse than anybody else did. We saw them beat the Chiefs in the regular season two years ago before they played them again in the AFC championship game and lost. They won that game at the last second. They've been good against the Chiefs. Now, as a side note, a little bit of voodoo to throw on this game. Titans fans, for the betterment of the NFL, it might not be the worst thing in the world for the Titans to lose this game because the last two times the Titans have played the Chiefs in the regular season and won those games, they have accidentally flipped the Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, please go thermonuclear button. And each of those times, the Chiefs, in 2019, the, the Titans won and the Chiefs didn't lose again all year. They won their way all the way to the Super Bowl victory. Last year, the Titans won, killed them, and then the Chiefs won eight straight games 
and then won their way to the AFC championship game before going down. So maybe things will be better off for the greater good of the league if the Chiefs are left alone and the Titans didn't poke the bear. All joking aside, I think the Titans have a better chance in this game than people give them credit. And here, and here's one of the reasons why. This is an interesting thought to me, and I was talking to Mike Herndon about it on his show earlier today. The Titans' run defense, in part, is so fantastic because of the fantastic run defenders they have. But the thing that makes this clock work and makes their run defense so good, and without giving up any of the leverage of their pass defense and their secondary, which has come along quite well in recent weeks, is the fact that the Titans have guys that they can put up there and just have six in the box, no stacking in the box, no extra pressure, no extra bodies in the run game, and they can still be absolutely shut down against run offense. When you've got Jeffrey Simmons, Tier Tart, Danico Autry, Bud Dupree, those four guys in particular, when you give them a one-on-one matchup, when it's six versus six, no loaded box, it's a one versus one battle in the run game in the trenches. When you've got Simmons, Tart, Autry, and Dupree, all guys who you'd expect, well, they're going to win their one-on-one matchup at least a quarter of the time, right? Well, the odds are every single down, even when you don't have any extra help in the run game, one, two, maybe three of those guys every single time is going to win their rep. And it's going to mean the the demise of the play. It's going to mean an unsuccessful run, almost certainly, especially if they can get penetration in the interior and it's not a run on, on an end around or something like that. So that's part of the recipe for this team is they don't have to devote any extra hands, any extra bodies to the run game in order for them to still have an absolutely shut down run defense. Now against the Chiefs, that probably won't matter, right? Because the Chiefs don't like to run the ball anyways. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has regressed dramatically. They got a couple other backs back there that probably should be playing more than they are, but the Chiefs, for some reason, insist on playing CEH over and over and over, and he's just not that great. Their run-blocking line is also not all that great either. Doesn't matter to them because they want to throw the ball. Now, what they've been getting over on teams recently is the fact that despite the Chiefs don't run, not running the ball very often, they do pretend to run the ball quite a bit. They've gone play action heavy this year. And just the fact that they are not really a running team doesn't, doesn't mitigate against the fact that teams still have to respect the play action game. You still have to bite a little bit on those play action looks to defend the run. And so that means teams are having to, on the off chance the Chiefs do run, they're having to devote some extra hands to the run game when they don't have a, ru- a great run defense. Well, the Titans do have a great run defense, and against good running teams, they already don't devote extra help to the run defense, and those six guys do plenty of work. Well, against the Chiefs, their play-action game isn't going to mean anything to the Titans because they'd be devoting six guys to the run defense anyways. They'd be keeping their full arsenal in the secondary unless they're choosing to blitz in the secondary keeping them available to help defend the pass. So I think that's an interesting element of this game to look at just how much the chiefs play action success is mitigated by the fact that the Titans front, the run defense isn't going to falter at the idea that the chiefs might run the ball. Another interesting thing to me is the Titans success in the red zone and in 
well, there's there's four or five different metrics. Generally speaking, the, my idea here, and I might write an interesting article on this at some point if the Titans keep this up, but this Titans team is a predictability breaker. They're a regression breaker. This team takes all of the statistics that the nerds would tell you are regressive stats. They're not predictive stats. They're things that just kind of happen. It's kind of a luck element. It's a situational element. Teams always are going to regress regress to the mean eventually. These things can't hold up at the rates that they are unless they're somewhere near the middle. Those are statistics like red zone success rate, red zone defensive success rate, um, one, success rate in one score games, third down defense. These are things that the rule is that these statistics regress to the mean. Teams can be really good at them in short stints or really bad at them in short stints, but they're always going to get back towards a median. It's not, it's not, you're not able to maintain success in these categories. Well, Mike Vrabel's Tennessee Titans have every single year for three or four years now, the Titans have been one of the best teams record wise in one score games for three or four years. Now the Titans have been one of the best teams in red zone defense. That's why we always talk about the Titans classic bend. Don't break defensive style for three or four years. Now the Titans have been one of the best teams by success rate in the red zone, all dating all the way back to Arthur Smith and his ridiculous red zone success rate. The Titans third down defense rate was really, really bad for that one year. And we talked all about it all year long, but other than that, it's been really fantastic. And in the last couple of years, it's been tops in the league this year. It is tops in the league. How are they doing these things? How are they breaking these rules? How are they becoming the exception to these rules when it's been established by history and by math and statistics and people crunching the numbers that these things can't hold up? It's Mike Vrabel. It's Mike Vrabel's ability to coach better than most everybody in this league. And these in unpredictability elements of the Mike Vrabel Titans and the culture that he's instilled, the play style that he's instilled is one of the main reasons that listen, folks, the national media, they hate your team. We've like, this is not news. We've established this. The national media does not like talking about the Tennessee Titans. And that's not a tinfoil hat thing like that. Most of them would admit, yeah, we don't talk a lot about the Titans and we don't love the Titans. I, I understand fans being upset about that. And that's why the Titans fans kind of have a, have a persona about them as being whiny internet fans because whenever the national media mentions them titans fans are very sensitive very active uh, they will jump all down people's throats if they say something that titans fans deem uh, irresponsible or incorrect that's fine I, I i think it's warranted i think that the national media asks for it but anybody that says i don't understand why the national media doesn't like my team Allow me to try to enlighten you. The Titans have three elements of a football team that is going to compel any national media member, any general media member to dislike them. And those three things are they're small, they're boring, and they're not predictable. So number one, what is the national media's job? I got to get eyeballs, got to get people to pay attention to our content or else we're not going to make any money and then we're going to be out of a job. So we're going to focus on the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to focus on the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to focus on the San Francisco 49ers, the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. Yeah, it's a booming market, but generally speaking, it's one of the smallest in the NFL. So we're not going to pay much attention to it because we don't get 
a ton of ratings when we talk about them. Number two, they're they're boring. They they just plainly are a zagging team in a zigging league. This is a passing league that loves explosives on offense and giant giant personalities and drama. It's a it's a reality television show first and foremost. Well, the Titans are counter to all of those things. They aren't about explosives in offense. They aren't about explosives and passing the ball. They aren't about big, outstanding personalities and drama in the locker room and drama from the GM or the owner on the local radio station or the coach getting in trouble for staying at a bar when the team flies back to Jacksonville. That's not what the Titans are about. Sorry, Herb. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the Titans are the opposite of all of those things. They're buttoned up. They're disciplined. They got a great culture. They win boring. They win ugly. They win however they have to, but they win. And winning is not that boring. But when you win like the Titans do, it's hard to pay attention to when you got teams like the Chiefs and the Bills doing incredible things. The third thing, and I think the most under-talked about, but biggest, most important reason why the national media does not like your team is because they are so unpredictable. What is the national media's job? Their job is to pay attention to sports, evaluate what they're seeing, repackage it in a way that they can present to you via radio, podcast, articles, or television in a way that you're going to understand and in a way that is going to reflect well on them. And the way that they get positive reflections back on them is by being correct. Now, wise people in this industry will tell you it's less about being correct and more about being interesting. And that's true. Being wrong and interesting is very profitable as b- compared to being right and boring. Just check out Skip Bayless, for example, um, or Jared Stillman, but that's another point. The, 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 uh, the, the Titans, they do all these things statistically that make them very the, – the nerds that are employed by these national talking heads have a hard time figuring out just what the Titans are going to do. They win games they're supposed to lose. They lose games they're supposed to win. They don't regress in statistics they're supposed to regress in. How in the world is this the only team that has been tops in the league in red zone success rate for four straight years? That's supposed to be a regressive stat. How in the world do the Titans week in and week out have this incredible third down uh, success rate number? You're not supposed to be able to do that. They do. They do. How how year in and year out is Mike Vrabel able to win these one-score games when one-score game records are supposed to fluctuate each and every year and there's a luck element involved he just does he does i don't know how but he does the sample sizes are big enough now to establish somehow mike brabel's tennessee titans are breaking the rules and because they break these rules and they're so unpredictable week in and week out national media doesn't like them because whenever they talk about the titans not only do they have the titans fans jump down their throats they're often wrong whether they're being praising of the titans or they're saying the Titans are going to lose on a given Sunday, the Titans tend to prove them wrong inexplicably. And so that's why, why would you want to talk about somebody that constantly makes you look like you're bad at your job? That's why the national media doesn't like to talk about the Titans. They don't want to talk about the Titans because the Titans are small, they're boring, and they're not predictable. That has nothing to do with this week's game. I just, that's a take that I had this week that I'm going to probably write an article about eventually that I found fascinating. I, I, I think I'd be interested to have this conversation with more of you if you wanted to tweet me your thoughts on that take, but I feel pretty strongly that, that that's the case. All right. 
that's enough of monologuing today. I want to go ahead and get to our new segment with producer JT. But before we do, I've got to tell you, we are on YouTube now. Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network is on YouTube. This show, the Hot Read Podcast, is on YouTube. And so you can go and check out this show in living color. You can see our beautiful faces with some beautiful graphics, as well as some uh, interactive graphics. We got different video clips we play on here, different uh, graphics we throw up during the Best Bet gauntlet segment. These things are all better in video form. So if you like listening to the podcast, great, and we appreciate you. But if you want to watch, go watch us on broadwaysportsmedia.com, or excuse me, on Broadway Sports Media, you, on the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page, Third Times with Charm Easton. And, and you can get all of these great episodes from us, as well as Football and Other F-Words and the Mike Herndon Show. Just subscribe over there, and you get all the great content in video form. All right, let's get into the news with producer JT. Alrighty, let's jump into the news, and today we have to start off on this Friday morning, of course, like we always do with the injury report. And let me tell you, it is a tale of two injury reports here for this <laughs> Sunday night football matchup. Looking at the Chiefs, not a lot of injuries here. Most people have been back-to-back full participations. This week, there's only been one person who hasn't practiced all week, and that is tight end Jody Fortson. Besides that, a pretty healthy squad for the Kansas City Chiefs. However, for the Tennessee Titans, probably their two biggest players of the week that they need on the field here, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, who looked like he was coming back from that ankle injury with a limited participation on Wednesday, did not practice today. And then of course, kind of a uh, little bit of a scare for you Titans fans earlier today, uh, Derrick Henry did not practice at all today. Easton, what are your thoughts and what do you think about these two injuries? Well, let's get Henry out of the way first. Derrick spoke to the media today, and we actually have a clip that we're going to play real quick of that he was responding to a Paul Kaharski question about his injury. He was listed as limited in yesterday's practice with a foot injury, which after his foot injury last year left many wondering, which foot? What's wrong with it? How bad is it? And uh, he was asked about that today in his press conference. Derrick Henry had this to say regarding his foot injury. It's fine. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong. I'll be out there um, on Sunday playing. So foot is fine. There's nothing to panic about. Everybody have a, a great Thursday. So. <laughs> is, it, is it the same foot? No, Paul, there's, no, that, there's nothing wrong with my foot. The right or left, the foot is fine. So, so obviously he's going to be all right. And today on the injury report, he was actually, his designation was changed. He was downgraded to didn't practice after limited being limited yesterday, but he was changed. His status was changed to uh, not injury related out for rest. So he's just getting a rest day after absolutely carrying the entire team on his back in Houston. Ryan Tannehill is more interesting. He was limited yesterday, got a couple of snaps. The, the Titans told us via Mike Vrabel that he would be getting some work yesterday and he did. But then today he was uh, out of practice. It'll be fascinating to see. I don't think that's all that alarming necessarily. I guess the idea was on Wednesday, he's going to get out there and see what he is and isn't capable of. Thursday and Friday, we'll probably rest him. I'd imagine he, he might be limited tomorrow with a walkthrough on Friday or today. Excuse me when you're listening to this with a walkthrough practice. He's probably going to be limited. He may not go at all, though. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they make him questionable designation on the injury report tomorrow or this afternoon rather i think he's gonna play if he's at all physically capable of playing he's going to play because the titans know and he knows 
they are not capable of winning this game with Malik Willis. They just aren't. And so they're going to need him to give it a try. We'll get to know the nature of his injury based on how they react to this week and his ability to go after getting a little bit of practice during the week. Well, as we continue on this injury report here, let's shoehorn in a little bit of good news here for the Titans. Of course, guard Nate Davis did not practice at all Wednesday due to a non-injury related reason, but of course returned in limited fashion on Thursday. And of course, Rashad Weaver had two full participations this week so far, so he looks like he's good to go. Getting back to some more bad news for the Titans on the injury front here, we have safety Imani Hooker, who of course went down in that Houston game with a shoulder injury, not practicing at all yet this week. Of course, defensive tackle Jeffrey Simrons with an ankle injury has also not practiced among other injuries here. Tier Tart with a hamstring limited today. (laughs) Easton, what do you think about this? Which of these players are going to go? Which of them are not? Give us your take on that. Simmons is going to go. He didn't practice at all last week with an ankle. He didn't have any signs of having an ankle injury in the Houston game. He had a season high seven pressures and a sack. He's going to go. He's just, he doesn't have to practice. He's letting that ankle rest this week. He'll be fine. Tier Tart is questionable. He was added midweek, which is always a scary thing with the hamstring injury. I have no idea whether he'll go and it'll be a big deal whether he can or not because he's been such a dramatic impact on this Titans pass rush and in the run game. The other guys on here, Nate Davis, very good to see him back. They have to have him for this game, obviously. Amani Hooker kind of looks like he's going to be done for a while. They were very quick on Sunday when he went out with that shoulder injury to designate him as questionable and then very quickly flip it over to out. They made him out very quickly the day of during the game. And so that makes me think that it's definitively something not great about his shoulder. I, I feel like there's just as good of odds tomorrow that we find out he's being put on IR as there are we're finding out that he's going to play in this game maybe i'm being overly pessimistic but we will see it's been a struggle for him to stay healthy at all this year unfortunately so andrew adams is going to have to step up in a big way if he can't go um aaron brewer was on the list uh he did not, excuse me no he was limited on wednesday but then full on thursday so that's good news they got to have him um overall i don't see anybody that's dramatically concerning on this list really besides ryan Tannehill. I think he's the only guy that they genuinely cannot afford to not have out there. If he's not out there, which I think that he will be, it's going to be a very different story in this game. Yeah, I would love to see the Titans injury report get a little bit shorter so I can stop doing all these tongue twisters when we talk about (laughs) it. However, moving on to some really good news for the Titans. They had two uh, players of the month here in the month of October. Of course, Derrick Henry, who has really turned it on from those first three games of the season. He was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Month this October with 563 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Really just goes to show you how Henry starts once again very slow on the season and then just kind of becomes unstoppable, which he has this month. Let's talk about- somebody had been yelling that from the rooftops for (laughs) weeks and weeks on end. Of course. Moving on, let's talk about Ryan Stonehouse, who is the AFC Special Teams Player of the Month. He averaged 51.7 yards a punt this month of October and had eight of his 20 punts land and be marked inside the 20-yard line. So some Titans players really showing up and standing out for them. 
Yep, Stonehouse has been fantastic. They've, he's made the move from Brett Kern look really smart and wise, and it's been a non-issue for the Titans. And, of course, Derrick Henry. has been Derrick Henry. He's been fantastic. Now let's t move over and talk about this stout Titans defense here. A little stat that is kind of a weird one, but really just goes to show you how uh, stout this defense has been. The Titans have now had four consecutive games of at least a minimum of three sacks, one INT and less than 65 rushing yards, which is now good for a league record. The last team to even put three of those consecutive games with those stats together was the 2014 Super Bowl champion Seattle defense. So the Titans defense has really kicked it into gear after a couple of uh, shaky games. Without a doubt, they've had the best overall defense for the past month by a, a w large margin, a wide margin. Is what I was trying to say, and uh, I, I think it's gonna it's gonna need to show up in a big way in this game, of course, against the Chiefs. I think this game will be. It, this is not to say that I think their status as the best defense in the league right now is a phony one, because I think they are truly fantastic. However, going up against this Chiefs offense will be a real heat check for them. I think we'll find out just how elite they are right now. So that's something to watch. And one last thing before we get into a couple other segments here on the show, let's talk about Jeffrey Simmons and contract. It's been a couple questions this week about his contract situation upcoming in the offseason. But of course, he went to Twitter and just said, hey, man, I'm focused on football and this team and not worried about the contract situation. Of course, in his tweet, he said, listen, I love where I'm at. I love this organization and most of all, my teammates. I'm not worried about a contract. I'm focused on winning. Next story, please. So this story came out this week, JT, and, and it was talked about in the article. Um, I forget who it was, so I apologize. I can't give credit, but somebody spoke to the Titans and Simmons just about they were they were detailing him as a player and his breakout as one of the best defenders in the league. And they were talking about his contract situation, which has been up in the air now for a little bit. The story is only unnerving to people because of what happened to AJ Brown. In reality, everything that he said, Jeffrey, that is in this article to the reporter about what the Titans had told him about his contract negotiation situation. It's exactly what you would expect to hear in any contract negotiation. The key differences and the reasons why I don't think there's anything to worry about is, is that one, John Robinson's not a moron. Okay. He knows that he can't let AJ Brown and Jeffrey Simmons walk number one and number two from that fantastic 2019 draft. He can't let both of those guys go. It just whether team building philosophy aside, you cannot do that from a PR standpoint. So he won't because he, he knows that that would be, he would lose the fan base and probably lose some people in that locker room. Number two, this team doesn't value wide receiver in the same way that the market does. They never have. They do, however, value defensive front and defensive players like Jeffrey Simmons who can tear it up in the pass rush and they've always been that way whether it's whether it's been um you know Harold Landry or Bud Dupree or guys even earlier like Brian Arakpo they have always invested in these guys who can get after the quarterback and I don't see any reason why they won't continue to do that they've always been willing to pay for elite pass rush ability that's what Jeffrey Simmons is it fits their philosophy and wide receiver value didn't. The third reason, and I think the most important and under-discussed element of the AJ situation, he explicitly said he did not want to stay here. 
It was widely reported at the time, and over and over, AJ and his team were given the opportunity to refute the idea that he asked out and didn't want to be here, and they never did. They had every opportunity to say it's not true, or that's that's not the whole story, or it wasn't like that. They never said anything like that, not once. They've been given plenty of opportunities to do so. A big element of that trade was the fact that AJ had resigned himself to twisting the Titans' arm further than he knew they'd be willing to go because he wanted to go play in Philadelphia with his best friend, Jalen Hurts. He'd worked out with Hurts just earlier in the in the preseason. He talked to Hurts in what was seemingly maybe a little bit of a shady situation with Hurts being the go-between between the Eagles organization and A.J. Brown. A.J. seemingly found out that the Eagles wanted him and were willing to pay for him, were willing to trade for him, and, and so he basically gave the Titans a number that he knew they'd have to get out of, and he forced his way out. That's, that's what happened. Jeffrey Simmons has long been adamant about his desire to stay here, and his personality is a fit in this locker room, a fit with the culture, a fit with Mike Vrabel. AJ wasn't necessarily a perfect fit in those ways. So for those reasons, I don't think there's much reason to worry about the Titans losing Jeffrey Simmons. I just think it's a matter of time, and he probably won't be paid until this next offseason. All right, JT, time for my favorite segment of the entire week, the Best Bet Gauntlet. We uh, continue to spin the wheel here as we've reached the midpoint of the season. And things have gotten tight, but last week came down. We each were at 2-2 two and two going into that last game on Monday night, and the Bengals went down hard to the Cleveland Browns, who I picked and you'd picked the Bengals. So gave me the edge, and I now lead us on the season at 2018 and 2. JT is right at 500, 19, 19 and 2. So it's anybody's game still. And uh, we've got, I went through, because I was fascinated by this idea of which team or teams have been best and worst for us betting on the show. So I went through and went back in the uh, database to figure out who each of us had bet and how we'd done betting them. Some interesting statistics here. Uh, you and I both, my, the team that I've bet the most is the Titans. I've bet them four times on the show. You've bet the Detroit Lions four times on the show. We've each gone two and two betting those teams, so no major edge. I have a significant edge in betting Atlanta, Washington, Pittsburgh, and San Fran. I'm 2-0 and or 2-1 and betting those teams. You betting the Titans and the Vikings are 2-0 and and have been really great betting those teams. A team that I would advise you never to ever bet again is the Chargers because you are 0-0-2. You just keep getting your money back on those guys. Hey, maybe, as well if, as I need, maybe if I need a, just one tie, just, you know. Yeah, if, you're just, you know, right, if it's a right terrible week and you just want a, a give tie, tie yeah. just bet the Chargers that week. Uh, you also should not bet the Raiders. You are 0-2 <laughs> betting the Raiders. I, however, am putting being put in horny jail for sure because, like I alluded to last week, maybe on Monday, talking about how I felt like my betting of the Jaguars had gone very poorly for me. I am 0-3 betting the Jaguars this year. So I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not betting the Jaguars anymore. Not happening. They have not taken this my money week against times. the uh, scoreless... The Raiders team? No, no, Last no, week? no. It tempted me, but I had to resist because 
this is just the, the evidence is in. I got to quit betting the Jaguars. So this week, I won last week. You get the first pick. Who is your first pick of the week nine best bet gauntlet? So for this first pick, I'm going to do the same thing that I did last week, speaking of the Raiders, and go ahead once again and disrespect Andy Dalton and the New Orleans Saints and give me <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens minus two and a half going okay. into uh, New Orleans for the same reason as last week. I just think the Ravens are better and will win okay. this game by a field goal. Now, of course, do I have to eat my words again? Maybe this is the maybe I just don't bet against the Saints after this. We'll see. But I think the Ravens are a better team than the Raiders, and I'm gonna go with Baltimore. Fair enough. With my first pick, I'm gonna go with the team that I think is way better than their competition. That's the Bills. Give me the Bills on the road as 11 and a half point favorites over the Jets. Listen, Zach Wilson stinks. He's been bad. He's gotten worse each week. The situation in New York continues to get worse with injuries, and the situation with Zach Wilson and his receivers is getting a little suspect with the Elijah Moore thing. The Bills tend to kill these teams that are inferior inferior to them, and the Jets are clearly inferior to them. I think the Bills, in a divisional game here, really lay the wood to a team and put them in their place. I like the Bills to blow out the Jets, minus 11.5. My second pick, I'm going to learn from my mistakes here, and I'm going to go with Carolina plus seven and a half. Not He's that wearing a Bungles jersey. I'm wearing the Bungles jersey, and I'm betting against them, but it's because, what? I didn't win last year and become short, like the sharp supreme of our friend group and of you um, for yeah. nothing. And, <laughs> and here's why. I think the Carolina Panthers have gotten drastically better with pj walker under somehow. center somehow sure. i don't know what's going on but christian the, mccaffrey was the problem they christian got McCaffrey rid of was christian, the problem and but the, this the addition, team is so much better the addition of pj walker and the subtraction of matt rule has done so much for this team not to mention that i think the Bengals here are they're, they're without now basically two-thirds of their secondary unit um and the way that P.J. Walker is throwing this ball, I'm going to take them in a shootout game, but I think they cover seven and a half. All right. I'm going to, with my second pick of the Week 9 Best Bet Gauntlet, give me Tennessee Titans plus 12 and a half at Kansas City. Said it with the Bills. I was wrong then. I'll say it again now because history still backs me up on the fact that this is too big of a number. Mike Vrabel's teams don't get blown out like this. Maybe they will, and maybe it'll change the way we view this team this year. But I'm not giving up on the idea just yet. I think that this game, albeit likely a loss for the Titans, I don't see them getting killed. I think this will be within 10 points or, or fewer. I think it'll be closer than folks expect. It's really that simple. I, I trust Mike Frable and Ryan Tannehill, assuming he's back in. Now, if he's not, I'll, I'll have to call an audible here. Assuming he's back, i like them to cover this big, big, big number my third pick here and of course our first head-to-head matchup of the big head-to-head week give me the rams plus three look i just think both these teams are very much underperforming however i'm going to give the edge two not very good teams but i'm going to give the the edge here to the los angeles rams team who's once again going into tampa here 
And I'm going to give it the coaching edge. I think Sean McVay mm-hmm. is a better coach in coaching his team better than the Buccaneers down there. Of course, I also think that Tom Brady is clearly on a losing streak. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better for him here. I think it's a close game, of course, which is why I'm taking the Rams to cover this side. I don't I don't know who's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be close, and I think it's going to be less than three points, so give me the Rams side. I'm taking the Bucks in this game. A lot of the same reasoning. These are two broken teams, two bad teams. It's going to be an ugly game. I give the edge to the Bucks purely because I trust Tom Brady more than I trust um, Sean McVay. I think that the the Bucks might have a coaching edge because they got a coach playing quarterback. And uh, I also think that they're less broken than the Rams. Cooper Cup getting banged up really scares me. And if he doesn't go in this game, I think the Rams are dead in the water offensively. Both teams have offensive lines that are falling apart and defenses that have been underperforming. But the Buccaneers feel like the team at home here. The Rams have to travel across the country. I just like the Buccaneers in this one. I think Tom Brady gets back on track and the Super Bowl hung way over Los Angeles Rams continue to spiral. See, I see that point, but I mean, you and you and the national media both keep saying you got to remember it's Tom Brady, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's it is Tom Brady. It's it is. It's it is Tom Brady. I don't know. I'm not buying it, it right now, at least. Okay. All right, Max Kellerman. Keep talking about that cliff. <laughs> keep talking about that cliff, man. All righty. With my fourth pick and our second head-to-head matchup here, we're going me, triple head-to-head. We're going folks. triple if you haven't already figured out what we're doing here in this pick'em here. Give me Seattle plus two because I've come full 180 and will say mea culpa on the Seattle Seahawks. They are here and now I am rooting for them to win this division here. Going into Arizona, look, I think they get it done on the run game here with Kenneth Walker, who has looked a little bit like Derrick Henry Light sometimes in his first season here. You know, it's a big accusation and something to put on someone like that. But look, I think the Arizona Cardinals have been in some games, but I don't think they can get it done here. And I think Gino's going to continue to be what he has been, which is a top five quarterback. Give me the Seattle to win outright, not even just plus two. I can't believe I'm riding with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray here twice in a row, but I'm going to have to. And here's why. I like the Cardinals in this game. First of all, I love the divisional revenge factor. These teams have already played divisional rivals. They've played once this year and Seattle embarrassed Arizona. I think Arizona is going to come out with a little bit of season on the line mentality in this game because they need this win. They can't get swept by the Seahawks in this division or they have no hopes of getting to the playoffs. So it's really as simple as I think DeAndre Hopkins coming back has been a massive boost for this team. And he's still one of the best receivers in the league. Um, he, he looks like he hasn't really lost a step in that regard. He's healthy right now. I think him and Kyler will con- Kyler will continue to gel. And I, I just see a big game coming for them. I, I like this as the as much as I like the Seahawks. I think this might finally be a spot to sell on the Seahawks. So give me the Cardinals minus two. Our third head-to-head matchup this week, and my personal favorite of the week. I am taking the Minnesota Vikings minus three against this Washington Commanders unit. Now you, may, you may be looking at my side of the board here, and you may be looking at the schedule, and you're saying, JT, you're taking all road That's five road teams, teams producer JT. What are teams, you doing? Right there. But let me tell you, my road teams, let's ride. You know, I'm here for it. <laughs> okay. I'm here for it, and here's why. I think Minnesota is just an all 
around better unit than Washington is, top to bottom. And what I think is even better for them is the big play factor here. I mean, you look at this Washington defense that gives up huge plays to their receivers. And who does Minnesota have but in Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and sneakily big play factor here, KJ Osborne. I think that trio catches two monster balls and puts this game away to at least a five-point deficit. I think just on the offense alone, I think they carry them to this minus three. Going with the commies here, I love what Taylor Heineke has brought to this team. I think that he's unlocked Terry McLaurin. Their relationship is so much better than Carson Wentz's relationship. I don't why why does Carson Wentz hate Terry McLaurin? Like this is coming up at eight o'clock. Me and the I team are breaking investigation into why they hate each other. Um, but yeah, Terry McLaurin has been a monster ever since Heineke got the starting role. He's a flawed passer, flawed quarterback. He's a gamer, and this team clearly plays for him. I just like that continue to want to ride Washington, one of the teams that I've been better betting this year. I think Minnesota is 6-1. and one. They're due. I don't think they're quite as good as their record at the moment. I think they're due to drop one. I kind of see this as the place um, where, where they do that. So give me the commanders getting three points at home against this Minnesota team. All right, to recap, producer JT taking a couple of favorites. Baltimore minus two and a half. Minnesota minus three, and then his dogs, Carolina plus seven and a half, Los Angeles Rams plus three, Seattle plus two. I'm taking uh, three favorites this week. Buffalo minus 11 and a half, Tampa Bay minus three, Arizona minus two, and then Tennessee plus 12 and a half, and Washington plus three. So Another ride with us. Pivotal week. Somebody's going to be in the lead, but it's going to be a close one after this week as it's been all year long. Um, let us know on Twitter which which of us you think has the better betting angles this week, who you're going to ride with. We would love to uh, talk to you about it on Twitter. So that does it for our best bet gauntlet, and that would do it for our show on most Fridays. But today we have a little bit of a uh, extra game for us here. We're bringing back the hot read heat hot read heat index, which we did once earlier this year. A little trade deadline game for us. Producer JT, you have got a list of all of the moves that were made over the trade deadline this week. I'm going to give a rating on the hot read heat index thermometer. One to 10, 10 being a great trade, one being a disaster of a trade. As to what I think these trades looked like for these teams, and uh, let's let's get into it here. Give me the first trade in this week's edition of the Hot Read Heat Index. Yeah, starting off here, let's talk about the one that has gotten, I think, the most traction because, of course, it was a trade. And also, this player also signed a massive, massive contract with said team. Let's talk about Bradley Chubb, who the Miami Dolphins traded for, giving up Chase Edmonds, a 23 first round pick and a 24 fourth round pick to the Denver Broncos and Miami in return got Bradley Chubb, a 25 fifth. And of course, down the line to can make up for that Chase Edmonds there, picked up Jeff Wilson Jr. from the 49ers in a later deal. Easton, give us your hot read heat index on this one. So for the trade alone, I give the Dolphins a seven out of 10 on this trade. The number goes down to about a five or six 
when you factor in the contract they gave him two days after making the move, they signed him to a five-year, $119 million extension with $63.2 million guaranteed. That that trade makes the Herald, or that contract rather, makes the Harold Landry contract look like chump change, even knowing that Landry was going to deal with the ACL injury. Chubbs struggled to stay on the field the past couple of years, and the top-end talent is there, but I just don't know how they're so confident in giving this guy a big five-year extension, or big five-year contract, rather, with this kind of money, not knowing how well he's going to play on their team, as well as not knowing how healthy he's going to remain. Didn't love that, but I did like the move to go all-in because this team needs to go all-in as long as they've got their quarterback on a rookie contract. Moving on, let's talk about another pivotal defensive player here. Let's talk about Roquan Smith going to, of course, the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, in return, Chicago gets linebacker A.J. Klein, a 23-second and a 23-fifth. What is your thought on this trade? Love this trade for both sides. I think that Chicago moving on Smith is the, the right thing to do. He's not a guy that I think was going to be a part of their future. He he He's just a little bit off the timeline in terms of what they need as a rebuilding team. Now, they sold the deadline with Roquan, Roquan Smith, um, but they also bought at the deadline with a guy we'll talk about here in a second. They're kind of in a competitive rebuild mode, it sounds like, which is interesting to me, but I like this move for both teams. I think they both get what they needed on this one. Yeah, moving on, of course, not one of the bigger, uh, bigger, flashier trades of this deadline, of course, but I think my favorite, of course, the Buffalo Bills going out and getting Naeem Hines from the Indianapolis Colts. Of course, the Indianapolis Colts getting Zach Moss and a 23 conditional fifth back. What is your uh, thoughts on this deal? I really like this deal for the Bills. Um, listen, it's not going to fix their run game. They still are a bad running team. They still have a bad running offensive line. Their best running back is still their quarterback, who's fantastic running the ball, but it's dangerous. Um, I, I do like Hines for this team because I've long been a fan of Hines. I've long been confused why the Colts didn't utilize Hines more than they did. Now, the Colts moving... Hines to get Moss in return and some trade value. I kind of like it because Zach Moss is a different style running back than what the Bills need. And he's the right style running back for what the Colts need. The Colts essentially traded mid-level running backs that had different styles of running and playing that better fit each team. Zach Moss is going to be much more of a true backup to Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. And Naheem Hines is going to be more of that pass catcher special teamer run on occasion guy in buffalo and that's what they want so i like that trade for them not going to really tip the scales for either team all that much but the colts had been wanting to move off of heinz for a while and they finally did yeah coming back to a team that we already talked about here in this segment of course the chicago bears picking up chase claypool for a 23 second round pick it's interesting that this team is buying and selling. Um, I don't, it's, it makes sense to me for this reason. They know with Justin Fields, they have not put him in a situation to succeed. They've not given him the weapons that he needs to succeed. 
they're trying to do that now. And going to get Claypool is a move, not just for this year as a rental, but getting him on this contract is going to allow them to keep him around for a couple of years and be around while Fields develops. So it's a move, not just for this year, but really for the years down the road. I don't love that they gave up a second rounder for him. I don't love that. Um, but it's the price that was demanded and they kept him away from the Packers, which is hilarious. I don't know if you saw that it was reported. The Packers also offered a second and, uh, the Steelers went with the Bears offer because they figured the Bears would have a better pick in the second round than the Packers do. So once again, the Packers and Brian Gutenkunst, a terrible GM up there, uh, doing a horrible job helping that organization get what they need. So continuing to fail, and uh, it's finally starting to bite them in the butt. So I, I like this move for Fields. I like it for Chicago. I don't love what they gave up for him. No, I agree there, and I think... Oh, and I, I've been not been giving grades. What's the whole point yeah. of this stupid exercise? Gosh, Roquan Smith trade, I give it a seven as well. Naheem Hines trade, I give it an eight for the Bills. I really like the move. They didn't give up much for him. Chase Claypool trade, I give it a... The trade compensation makes it tough. I give it a six and a half. I don't love giving him a second, but I do like that move to help your young quarterback develop. No, I agree there. I think it's what you said is a competitive rebuild might be a little bit of a stretch there, but more so just being like, I think a lot of the media, especially around Chicago has been like, can Justin Fields even be the quarterback that Chicago needs here? They have well, to find hey, out. we can't find it out. I think this is them while saying, I don't think Chase Claypool is exactly the guy that they need. You can look at some other uh, quarterbacks who have kind of taken a huge step in their game. Of course, Josh Allen's took a huge step with Stefan Diggs, Jalen Hurts taking a huge step with AJ Brown, Justin Field taking a step with Chase Claypool. We'll uh, maybe yeah, we'll see, but uh, it definitely will now show Chicago and that front offense. Offense. That office. office. There you go. Get can away. Justin Fields do it? Yeah, definitely. All right, what's the next trade? Moving on to a sort of head scratcher here for the Jacksonville Jaguars trading for Calvin Ridley. Of course, Atlanta getting a 23 uh, fifth pick that is also conditional and a 24th conditional second. And that one is based on if Calvin Ridley even extends or resigns with the Jacksonville Jaguars. What are right. you making of this one and what would you grade it? JT, I give it a nine. I give it a nine out of 10. I loved this move. It was out of left field. People didn't see it coming. It's really simple. The Jaguars saw a stud wide receiver who'd been dealing with some mental health issues and then a stupid gambling decision that has cost him his playing in the league this year. But before that, this guy was a stud. He was breaking out. He looked like he looked like he could be a top 15, maybe top 10 wide receiver in the league, a real wide receiver one in the league. And the Jaguars are looking for weapons to put around Trevor Lawrence because they need to, like Justin Fields, they've got to find out whether he's their guy long-term. Well, when better to buy on a guy than at his lowest point? This was the ultimate buy-low spot for Calvin Ridley. And they did. They gave up a second and a fifth for a guy that could ultimately be a top 10 receiver in the league. So I like the move. And I like that those picks they gave up are conditional so that if he's still a head case or if he's a moron or if he just doesn't want to sign or if it just doesn't work out they're not going to be screwed i really like this move 
I like it for both teams because the, the Falcons, I give them a, a, a seven or an eight on this trade. They've got their weapons there. Calvin Ridley is probably a little bit too old to be a part of their long-term vision. I like the move for both sides, but I really like it for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and I think that 24 conditional second, I think that's the best case scenario. If he ends up not even making the team, I think it moves to a fourth round pick in that right. year. But yep. moving on to the last one, which was probably one of the bigger ones to, uh, of the day and the one that started off the day. Let's talk about TJ Hawkinson going interdivision from the Detroit Lions to the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, Detroit getting a 23 second and a 24 third back and Minnesota getting TJ Hawkinson a 23 fourth and a 24 conditional fourth. I really like this move for the Vikings. They need some actual, not actual, some extra help at the tight end position. Um, Irv Smith Jr. has been injured, and they need a guy to be that tight end blanket in the passing game for Kirk Cousins, who is a good quarterback but has to have the pieces around him to be at his best. He's more of a trailer than a tractor in that way. Well, TJ Hawkinson is a really, really solid receiving tight end. He's tough. He plays through a lot of injuries and is out there a lot. He's serviceable in the blocking game. He's kind of everything they needed. And I like the trade compensation Detroit got back in return for him. The Vikings probably paid a little extra because it's an interdivision trade, and those are kind of wild to begin with. Um, Bold move from the Lions to give up a guy that is such a weapon in the division. But I see where they're thinking is this is a guy that probably isn't a part of our long-term future. We're not as close as we thought that we might be this year. They are struggling and Dan Campbell is uh, struggling to get this team to where he thinks they can be. Their future is in the next one, more like two or three years. And Hawkinson probably wasn't going to be a part of that. So they moved the guy. I like the move for both sides, but I really like it for the Vikings. I give them an eight out of 10 on the hot read heat index. That's going to do it for today. JT. We have got another show for you on Monday. I'll be calling in Jerry Jones style from the sea in an undisclosed location on my mega yacht. And I'll be on a boat bigger than Jerry this time. Don't ask me if I own it. Um, Before we go, we got to shout out a couple of people that left us reviews like we've been asking for. First of all, listen, if you aren't already a subscriber to the Hot Read podcast, wherever you get the good podcasts, what are you doing? Subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and then rating, and then leave us a review and write whatever you want. Literally anything, we will read it on air. We will follow you if you leave your Twitter handle in there. Um, we would love to have your review. It helps us a lot with selling the show and the numbers and the algorithm and all of those things you don't care about. Every show you've ever listened to has asked you to, to leave a review. I know, and you ignore them just like I do when I listen to all these big shows that have thousands of reviews. We don't have thousands of reviews. We're a smaller, younger upstart local podcast that serves you all the fans of the titans and so do us a favor take 10 seconds out of your life you're already there just in the podcast app go and leave a review on apple podcasts say whatever we'll shout you out we'll follow you it means way more to us than 10 seconds it takes you to write one so the couple that we got this week the first from monday excellent analysis five stars that's what we like to see always a great listen an objective take on the good bad and ugly side of the titans Left us a recommendation, which I'm going to read, even though it's a flaw of ours. We Feedback is a gift on this show. We're always trying to get better. If you have ideas for how to make our show better, leave us a review. Tell us what you want to see. We can't, we can't read your minds, people. Tell us. This person, Dusty Orleans, said, The volume of the intro music to the news segment is markedly louder than the rest of the voice track, and it's jarring in the transition, also kind of loud in the background during the news segment, and drowns you guys out a bit. Thanks for the heads up. We've already addressed it. We're going to 
start doing a better job of the mixing of the sound so that the show is more pleasing to the ears. So we appreciate that feedback. My bad, Dusty. Then, I was tired and forgot yeah, that one. <laughs> JT's fired. <laughs> Thanks bad, for the heads up, Dusty. And then uh, from uh, DeGambo, although they left their Twitter handle at Brown Boy Traveling, uh, only because you asked nicely, gave us a five-star review. Appreciate that. And they said some kind things. The Hot Read is probably one of my favorite Titans-related podcasts to listen to now. From when it was the Titans 10 to now the Hot Read, guy deep cuts. This guy goes back. Easton, JT, and the team do a great job breaking down Titans information to make it easy to ingest and understand. It's a great starter podcast if you are new to the Titans scene, and it's also great for veteran fans that just want to be involved in the Titans outside of game day. Thank you for what you do. Hashtag tighten up. That is super sweet, super kind of you. Thank you for listening as long as you have. And uh, we'll definitely make sure at Brown Boy Traveling to follow you on Twitter, give you a follow back across all of our Twitter platforms. I'm at Easton Freeze, at JT underscore Runke, or at the Hot Read Pod, Hot Read Pod. Uh, make sure to follow all those accounts and make sure to check out the Mike Herndon show. If you didn't already, it should be out by now. The time you're listening to this, it's on YouTube as well as in podcast form for free on our podcast platforms uh, of choice. And you can't get the full show unless you're a Broadway insider. So go ahead and become a Broadway insider. You can get the full video show on our site, just 99 cents for your first month when you use code insider and then 49.99 for the first year. When you use code annual, that's 20 bucks off your annual subscription. If you use code annual and you get the usual $6.99 a month for just 99 cents for your first month, just as a trial to try it out. You get the great Mike Herndon show content in its entirety. You get all of our premium articles. Justin Mello has been writing quite a bit recently. He's got a great one up right now about the Titans in this game against the chiefs and what it could mean for them. If they were to be competitive and win the game, it's a fantastic read, read it myself. You'll want to check it out. Can't get those things. If you aren't an insider, also can't get access to our fantasy leagues, which are fantastic and a lot of fun. And they have cash, cash prizes. I've been mailing out the cash prizes to people this week. I've been sending them out. So get in with the insiders, get in these leagues, win, and then it'll pay for your membership. Easy, infinite money hack. Those are all of the instructions I have for you this week. Thanks for listening as long as you did. Don't miss our show sometime on Monday, hopefully first thing Monday, but with Sunday Night Football, you never know. I promise at some point Monday, we will be back here on the feed to recap Titans at Chiefs. Until then, I'm Easton Freeze for JT Runke. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.